As you can imagine, it's a year filled with interesting experiences when you get to sit back and experience learning why Rob does the things Rob does, right? Wow. You guys already know that, though. You've been around long enough. But, uh, you know, this morning is an interesting morning. Um, if we think about cognition, oh, big word, right? Some of you are like, wait, I haven't had brunch or lunch yet. Slow down. Let me explain what cognition is, okay? Cognition is simply the process by which all of the sensory input that you're receiving all week long is being processed. Did you get that? Don't want to miss it, okay? Cognition, the process by which all the sensory information, all the sensory input that you're receiving all week long is being processed. So how are you dealing with it? How are you thinking about it? How are you speaking? How are you living? How are you reacting? How are you creatively moving forward? or perhaps stuck where you are because you've got sensory input coming at you um, all the time, right? So this morning is interesting because after all, well, first off, it's the fifth Sunday of the month. So some of you are like, wait a minute, haven't I already done this church thing four times this month? Do I really have to do this a fifth time? Right? It's a lot of work getting the kids ready in the morning. But here we are on the fifth Sunday. And then if you're serving on one of our teams, let's say you're the coffee team, the roots team, working with all of our kids this morning, maybe the, the connectors and the greeters, you're like, Hold on a second. Now, normally I do this on the second Sunday of the month, but I guess it's now my month to do this on the fifth Sunday, right? And then if you've been here to the plant before, you're like, wait a minute, Josh is up here. Now he's familiar, but where's the rest of the band, right? Where's the drum set? Things are different. Things look different. Um, all of that. And then now you're like, and now there's a guy with a sport coat up here talking to me, right? You're like, that never happens at the plant. People don't wear sport coats. Um, so much sensory input coming at you throughout the week. You know, I, I opened up my closet this morning, and I thought to myself, hi, sport coat. <laughs> it's been a little while since we've connected. Perhaps this is a good morning for that to happen. Of course, then I thought to myself, how will the plant family react to that? And I'm like, well, it's perfect. It fits right in because we're going to be talking about cognition anyways, you know, right? The process of all the sensory input coming at us all week long and how we process it. And then, wow, we stand up and we pray together. And uh, a lot of us, all of us, we, we've, had some, we've had some crazy weeks. There's a lot that comes at us. Um, a lot that comes at us. There's been some interesting studies um, over the last 20 years in regards to cognition because as the world moves faster and faster and as information is just flying at us from all different kinds of places, right? I mean, we've got news channels upon news channels, right? information sources just constantly screaming at us, shouting at us. And a lot of us are drawn to that. We've got constant noise that's all around us. And so with all of this sensory input that's coming at us, how are we dealing with this as human beings? So a lot of studies have been done because uh, what we find is a lot of people, when you have this much sensory input coming at you, you tend to gravitate toward things that are familiar, towards things that are safe towards things that are known, because when there's all of this other stuff coming at you, we don't know how to respond and react to all of that. So we tend to gravitate towards structures, towards people, towards people groups that are safe and familiar and that kind of fit in with what we're used to, right? Um, one of the studies that, we've, that, that psychologists have done over the last 20 years, this is an interesting one. They took two groups of people. And uh, so one group of people, they had them interact uh, with a cowboy wearing his cowboy garb and his cowboy hat. Uh, and he was a white guy from the South. 
and he had a southern accent, so they just had him kind of sit down and converse with this guy. And then what they did is they took the people and they um, had them do certain cognitive tasks, things that required thinking and speaking and creatively working through things. And the people then, uh, they, they scored how they did. And so the people did rather well on these cognitive tasks after they had this conversation with the white southern cowboy with his cowboy hat on. And then what they did is they took another group of people, similar group, but yet different group, and they had them sit and converse with an Asian guy, but the Asian guy had a thick southern accent. And so people, they, they engaged in this conversation, and it was a stretch for them, right? The sensory input, wait a minute. This guy's Asian, but yet he's got a thick southern accent like a cowboy. And then they had them um, actually then do the same cognitive tasks that they had the other group do. And this group scored significantly lower on the cognitive tasks. And so psychologists have come up with this term over the last 20 years called cognitive misers. Now, do we all know what a miser is? Somebody tell me what, what's a miser? feedback from you guys. Wake you up here. What's a miser? A cheapskate, right? Yeah. This person could have a ton of money in the world, but they can't leave more than a $1.50 tip, right? Um, a cheapskate. So cognitive misers, psychologists have said, you know, we have a, a world really filled with cognitive misers because as all of this information is coming at us, as all of this sensory input is coming at us, we only have so much mental energy to spend thinking through new things. We only have so much emotional energy to deal with new situations. Uh, and so we have a world filled with cognitive misers. Now, of course, not here at the plant church, right? Not us. No, no, not us. Um, before coming up to North Jersey uh, in 2007 with my family, we were down in central Jersey in the Princeton area for nine years. Um, while I was there, I was a youth pastor at a couple of different churches, uh, being a youth pastor is great. You get to take kids on a lot of trips. You take them to camp for a week. You get to see how God is just at work in their lives, kind of doing new things, showing himself in new ways. And there would always be a couple of different situations that I would run into. This is one. Um, so we would prepare to take kids away on a trip. And maybe we'd be going on a missions trip to a different country. We're going to serve. Uh, maybe we'd be going to a camp and kids are going to be challenged. Uh, they're going to hear about a relationship with God. Um, and then we'd come back from the trip, and there would be some families, some parents, who would actually create space to say to their kid, welcome home, and they said, let's go out for dinner. Or mom or dad maybe perhaps made the kid's favorite dinner, and they'd sit down at the table together, and the parents would be like, we've created this space because we want to hear all about what happened in your life this week. We want to hear what God did in your life, so tell us all about it. And the parents would engage in the process, right? They weren't cognitive misers, all right? They're going to have all of this sensory input coming at them from the experience of their child throughout the week. And they, they welcome this. They receive this. And they want to engage in this with their kids. God's showing up, doing new things in this kid's life. And it's really neat because if parents, if families actually engaged in the work that God was doing in their son or daughter's life, as a youth pastor, I would often see that work continue in the son or daughter's life for years to come. On the other hand, I would run into another situation from time to time. Um, <clears throat> maybe we'd be gone for a week. Maybe it was going to be Saturday to Saturday. Kids were going to be at camp. And every now and then the parent would say, okay, here's the deal. Um, I have to pick Jimmy up early on Friday. 
he can't stay the whole week because he's got a, he's got a soccer game on Friday night that he needs to get to. And generally, the kid would really be bummed that he has to be picked up early. Or the daughter might be really bummed because she's got to be picked up to go to this thing that mom and dad found so important. And so the child is just kind of yanked out of this environment, hurry up and rush to what's familiar because the family has set up a system, a structure that works for them, that's comfortable for them, that doesn't require more sensory input coming at them, but it's just safe, it's familiar. And I would struggle because I would see these kids, even though they couldn't verbally say it, I knew what was going on in their heart. God's meeting them in the midst of a week, and they're just yanked out of it. And there's not even an opportunity for anyone to engage with them. Because perhaps mom and dad or other members in the family, they're, they're cognitive misers. They don't want to disrupt the system. Uh, they want to keep things as they are. Now, I want us to think about this because as we've been going through Lent, we've been talking about kairos moments, right? Kairos moments. More feedback from you guys. Somebody tell us. I think we've been talking about this enough weeks now. I haven't been here the last couple of weeks. But what's a, what's a kairos moment? Let me hear one of you kind of say what it is. A divine moment. And wh- what happens in that divine moment? Say it again. Big words you're using there, Scott Hosier. It's good. Repent and believe, right? But before you can repent and believe, even what's happening there in that divine moment? You have to identify, okay, right, God's speaking into something, right? God is speaking into something. And so now we have some sensory input from God coming at us. And are we going to be a cognitive miser, saying, I don't want to disrupt the system that's at work here in my life, which we're all guilty of in our Christian life, right? God, I just don't have time for this right now. Um, We see this in church life all the time, right? I mean, it's sad, but there's a lot of churches out there who they don't want God divinely speaking into what's happening because things are working right now. We're comfortable. This is good for us. But just like Lent has a way of like disrupting us, right, when it begins on Ash Wednesday in the middle of a week, Boom, it's just there. That's often how these divine moments come. So these kairos moments, kairos, it's a Greek word for time, right? So we think of time generally as today's Sunday, tomorrow is Monday, then comes Tuesday. Right now it's 1046, then comes 1047, 1048. So that's what we call chronos time, right? Chronological time. But in the New Testament, in the Bible, we would hear about time, which is kairos time. In fact, the word is used when Jesus said, The time has come. It's at the beginning of Mark. Jesus shows up on the scene. He's like, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So when Jesus is saying the time has come, it's not like he's saying, hey, 11 o'clock is here. Let's get on with our life and what we normally do at 11 o'clock. No. When Jesus says the time has come, what Jesus is saying, the kairos moment is here. Because guess what? I'm here. God in the flesh. Jesus is saying, I'm here. And what normally happens maybe at 11 o'clock or maybe even 1047 is now slightly going to be interrupted with this kairos moment that happens. God steps into our lives and he speaks, but are we willing to share in these moments together? Um, And if so, what will it cost us, right? I mean, to create a space for God to actually speak to us, for Jesus to actually speak to us, and then for us to consider what is he saying 
And then the next step, which is a step of repentance, right? Because Jesus said the time has come, repent and believe the good news. Repent means I have to turn around and go in a different direction. But to turn around and go in a different direction means I have to maybe stop doing what I'm doing in order to head over here because Jesus is saying, look, the time has come for you to move in this direction. Um, And then I have to believe something differently now that Jesus is speaking to me. So to create space to listen and interact with this, it's hard work. Oh, creating things is hard work, right? It entails a lot of self-reflection. It requires an openness to have our own hearts and feet moved. Now, I'm amazed. Like, we live in a culture where we are incredibly mobile, right? I mean, think about the places that some of you have been this week, right? I mean, some of you have literally been like, well, some of you went on a boat, right? You went on a boat. I mean, and boom, you're on the boat, but now, boom, you're back here. Others of you I know went to Florida. You know, maybe you got on an airplane. I mean, we can get anywhere we want to go at any time. We can get into the city on a moment's notice and go experience something very cool. So we're this incredibly mobile culture, but yet the paradox is as mobile as we are, we really don't want to move. Or we want to move in selfish ways that we want to move. We want to move because we feel like moving there. We want to move because It's in some way convenient for us. But Kairos moments is when Jesus speaks in and all of a sudden he kind of gives us a gentle nudge. And I don't know if I want to move that way or not. So to to engage in these Kairos moments requires us to have an openness, to have our feet, our feet, our hearts moved. And there's even a risk that others might be disappointed or mad at our movement. I mean, all of this comes into play. Um but yet we often don't want to do this. What we're going to do now is we're going to look at a story in the Gospels, John chapter 9, because as we're going through Lent, we're opening up and we're looking at various Gospel passages where Jesus is going to interrupt a moment and he's going to speak in and we're going to learn something about this. Now, here's the beautiful thing. In John chapter 9, if you have a Bible, you can uh, look it up. These are on the chair. Maybe you have it on your phone, something else. You want to follow along because this is a very interesting uh, narrative that we're going to get into here. So John chapter 9, verse 1. Here's the interesting thing about this Kairos moment. Not only is this a Kairos moment for one particular person, but this is requiring, in a sense, a whole family to have to interact with what Jesus is speaking into this situation, right? It's actually going to require a mom and dad to have to interact, and then it's actually going to have to require a larger community to interact, which is cool because, really, as the plant family, we're taking great strides for this. And this is awesome. I mean, just to see individuals here having Kairos moments in their life this week, but to see their family members come alongside them and to see the extended family actually come alongside them and lay hands on them and pray for them, that's a really cool thing. So let's dive in here. John chapter 9, we'll begin to move through this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Stop. To which Jesus replied, ain't nobody got time for this. And he walked away. (laughs) That's not true. Think about the question. There's a poor young man born blind since birth. And the disciples are like, this is tough to interact with, right? who Who deserves to be blind since birth? But obviously, hey, you know, I mean, because we're cognitive misers, Um, we tend to think like just, you know, I don't want to think too hard about this. So they kind of concocted this formula. Well, okay, we know what caused this. We don't want to think too deep about this. I mean, really what causes is either this guy sinned, all right? Either this guy sinned 
or his parents, one or the other. So which one was it, Jesus? You know, because this is the system, this is the structure through which they had set in place to help them understand how the world work, works. So, so which one is it, Jesus? Um, to which Jesus responds, verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Oh, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He had told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Celebration, right? Let's throw a party. Oh, we better keep the story going. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, all right, hold on, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others says, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. And so here's this amazing moment happening in this young man's life where Jesus steps in, gives him sight, and you think there'd be a big party and a celebration, but people are like, well, hold on a second here. This is going to perhaps move us out of some ways that we've been living in. This is going to move us out of some patterns, maybe move us out of some ways of thinking that we've been thinking because when it comes to how this whole God thing and how God interacts with the world, um, it gets really complicated. And so we like to come up with very easy answers about how it works, right? And these answers work for us. And, but this one, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus is showing up and there's things that are going on here that don't really fit within the system and how we've experienced things to be. And this is true for all of us. I mean, regardless of whether we've been walking with Jesus for years or maybe whether we're just beginning to check this Jesus out, Jesus is going to step into our moments and he's going to reveal things about himself, about things that he wants to do in our lives. And it's going to blow us away. It's going to require us perhaps to be moved in ways that we don't want to move. And again, this is true whether we've been walking with Jesus for years or whether we're just checking Jesus out. Jesus is going to want to nudge us. He's going to want to move us. Verse 13. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Because on the Sabbath, you didn't do work, right? I mean, this is how the religious system worked out. On the Sabbath, you didn't do work. This is how we knew who was truly religious and who wasn't. We had these things that were kind of set up. And so um, this man was healed on the Sabbath. So there's an issue here. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes and then I washed it away. I could see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man, Jesus, is not from God for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them because deep division of opinions were a thing back then. They're not really a thing now. Um, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son 
Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? Generally, if you find yourself irritated, um, there's a kairos moment happening. Right? The Pharisees, I mean, they're irritated here, right? Their system is being disrupted. What's worked for them is being disrupted. This is a kairos moment. Um, but now the parents are actually going to find themselves a little bit afraid. Because not only if you're irritated, is there a good chance there's a kairos moment happening? But if you're afraid, there's another good chance that a kairos moment is happening. Because Jesus, who came to love us perfectly and to ask us to perfectly love, Perfect love casts out fear. And so when we're irritated or when we're fearful, this is a good opportunity to stop and rather than maybe run to the things that are familiar, and that's why fasting during Lent is so important because when we fast, we say we're going to pull away from those things that we often run to for comfort and we're going to experience something unfamiliar in the wilderness and we begin to meet Jesus in a new kind of way in the midst of our irritation, in the midst of our fear rather than going to soothe ourselves with what's comfortable. Um, Where was I? I lost my place. Somebody help me out. 20? Verse 20. Okay, right. So bring it to parents. Verse 20, his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were what? Afraid. Afraid of the Jewish leaders who would announce that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I don't know all the answers, the guy says, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. And this is the beautiful thing about what Jesus wants to accomplish in our lives. Because Jesus wants to pull us out from being people who have all the answers. Not that answers aren't important. We'll get to that in just a few more minutes. But Jesus wants to pull us out from being people who have all the answers to being people who actually have a story to tell. Because when you have a story to tell, people will want to engage with you. When you have a story that says, look, I was here And I don't know how it happened, but now I'm over here. And I feel so incredibly free. And I'm able to love more. And I'm able to trust God more. And I'm actually to take bold steps of obedience. Like, that's a story worth telling. And this is the beautiful thing that Jesus does in this Kairos moment for this young man. This young man all of a sudden has realized, look, I I don't have the answers. I don't know. but But I do have this. I have a story. Because Jesus showed up in my life. And Jesus now isn't only showing up in this man's life, but he's showing up in the lives of the parents who are afraid, and he's showing up in the lives of the Pharisees who are a little bit perturbed and irritated. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. What did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Boom. Let's just unpack this one for a while. Do you want to be his disciples too? See, the disciple here, this new disciple, who all of a sudden is having this kairos moment where Jesus is revealing himself to him, and now he's got a story to tell because Jesus stepped in 
and forever changed him. Now this young man is like, you want to be his disciples too, don't you? Because you're irritated and you're afraid. And now Jesus is like having a Kairos moment with you. And I know that you want to respond to this, but I know that you're afraid and I know that you're irritated because you're cognitive misers just like I am. But don't you want to be his disciples too? This young disciple is saying, come and belong with me. Come and belong with me. Be a part of this story. Be a part of this story, but you're going to have to leave this other story that you're stuck in. Because if you want to be a part of this story that Jesus is writing, you're going to have to, to leave here and begin to come over here. We'll learn what to believe and we'll learn how to behave as we belong to Jesus, this Messiah, this God in the flesh who has come to reveal himself. Now, there's been a whole kind of conversation going on in the larger church over the last number of years when it comes to belonging, believing, and behaving. Um, you know, a lot of times you have, you have churches on kind of polar opposite ends of the spectrum. Some are saying, look, number one, you have to behave the right way because if you behave the right way, that'll show us that you're believing the right things, and then when you're doing that, we'll truly let you come and belong with us. Jesus wants to speak into that. You have churches on the other end of the spectrum then who, who really do something that's just as terrible. Look, just come and belong with us. It's all okay. It's all okay. God loves you. He accepts you just as you are. Just come and, and just, just belong with us. You know, that's cool, you know. Just come and do that. Eh. But I do believe that Jesus is saying this. Look, come and belong with me. Don't just come and belong with each other where like we all get the warm fuzzies and everything's good and we can just love each other and we'll sing about God every now and then and maybe we'll help other people and serve other people as good as those things can be. But first and foremost, Jesus is saying, come and belong with me. And we get to do that together as a community. How awesome is that? How awesome is that, that as Jesus meets us individually in the midst of our Kairos moments, saying, come and belong with me, let me give you a new story, because I want to pull you out from being people who have all the answers into people who have a new story, and you belong to me. And as we realize together that we belong to Jesus, like all of a sudden now, what God is doing in Jeff and Sarah's life, who are in my missional community, that's going to like pull me into what Jesus is speaking to them. And then there's going to be some things that Jesus is speaking to me, and it's going to pull them into the story that Jesus is speaking to me, right? And Jesse and Andrea, who have just come home from Africa, who are now going through a whole new series of moments where God is speaking to them as we share life together in missional community, as Jesus is revealing things to them in Kairos moments, I'm drawn to that, and all of a sudden I'm having a better understanding of what it means for me to belong to Jesus because I'm seeing how they interact with Jesus. And as they connect with me, there's all of this interchange that's going on. And sometimes... To be honest, sometimes we don't really like what other people who belong to Jesus are experiencing as Jesus is speaking into their lives. Perhaps we get irritated. Perhaps we get afraid. And Jesus is saying, no, no, come, come and be a part of this story that I'm doing together. Come and be a part of this story. And I can't think of any more tangible expression of what belonging to Jesus looks like than this, right? I mean, here's Jesus, all right, represented through the blood, through the bread, his body, all right? This is, 
This is the human of humans, right? Jesus, who comes reflecting full humanity, saying, look, this isn't just about what it means to be a good Christian. This is actually what it means to be a human being. And so all of us wrestling with what in the world does it mean to be a human being in the midst of this world where it feels like no one knows how to be a human being? Jesus is saying, let me show you the story. I'll show you the story of what it truly looks like to be a human being. Because that's who Jesus is, the human one of all human ones, right? The son of man, he called himself. There was the first Adam, the apostle Paul says, and now Jesus, the last Adam. And so if we want to know what it means to be a human being in the midst of this crazy time living on planet Earth, where we've got sensory input flying at us from all different places, we can just simply look to Jesus and say, this is what it means to be human. But not only is Jesus showing us what it means to be human, Jesus is actually showing us the fullness of God. Because Jesus would say things like this, look, if you want to see the Father, just look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Apostle Paul said things like, um, here's the deal. In Jesus, the fullness of God has dwelt. And so what is God like? Hmm. What is God like? Well, let me look at this. If I look at this, I can see that God is incredibly gracious because God is a giver. And God will give of himself to the point of even showing up and giving of his life on a cross, right? Because in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. Not only is God a gracious giver, but God is actually one who absorbs all of my cognitive miseriness. Is that a word? I don't know. And God absorbs all of your cognitive miseriness, which let's just throw the fancy words away. Let's call it what it is. It's sin, right? It's sin. It's not wanting to grow up and just trust God more. It's just a, an unwillingness to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to trust that guy as smart as he is. I'm not going to trust her because she makes me feel good. But God, I'm going to trust you. Because God absorbs our sin in himself. I mean, rather than being like the God with the lightning bolt, right? down with you, you know, like, no, that's not who God is. Or some of us, we even devise these plans where it's like, all right, this is what happened. God was so ticked at us that he had to put his only son on the cross and like annihilate his son, right? Boom. We've got to be careful when we talk like that. God is dwelling in Christ. And so as Christ goes to the cross, as we begin to approach Good Friday, God is going to the cross, God is going to the cross because God takes my sin seriously. God is going to the cross because he takes your sin seriously. He takes the mess that we're in seriously. He takes it so serious that he's willing to go to the cross and observe, ab absorb all of the sin, all of the wrong into himself in order that at the cross he might triumph over everything that's evil. That at the cross, he might triumph over everything that's tearing us apart. He might triumph over everything that's broken so that we can be freed, so that we can be forgiven, so that we don't have to absorb that ourselves. So finally, we can simply say yes to Kairos moments 
that are happening in our lives in so many moments of so many days in the midst of so many weeks. And we get to do that together as a community. As we gather together, as we share in each other's lives, as we find ourselves maybe irritated, frustrated, as we find ourselves afraid, some of us finding ourselves like engaging with this whole new story because Jesus is doing amazing things. And together as we lean into this, as we lean, lean into each other and what's happening, we belong to Jesus together. And by belonging to Jesus together, by belonging to what Jesus has done here, what God has done here in Jesus, we start to become who we are to become, behaving and believing as human beings. But are we willing to make space here for ourselves? That's what some of us need to do this morning, I think. Some of us need to, to allow ourselves to receive the grace that God wants to give us as we come here. Are we willing to allow others to receive that same grace? People who maybe are going to pull us out a little bit of places that we've been in because God is slightly working in a slightly different way than maybe he is in our own lives. These are all the things that we need to wrestle with. Um, so let's lean into one another, right? Don't, don't lean into Rob or Kurt or Jeremy or Omar or your missional community leader alone. Like, let's lean into each other, right? I mean, I'm looking at Omar right now. So I'm going to say, Omar and, I, Omar and I need to lean into some of you because there's things that you're going to teach us. And there's somebody else who's experiencing something in your missional community that as much as you don't want to lean into them, you can lean into them because together, as we lean, lean into each other, God is going to give us a whole new story because Jesus is going to show up in these Kairos moments and boom, he's going to shape us into an amazing community. And people are going to be watching and they're going to be like, whoa, I, like, I, I don't know, like I talked to some of those people and I realize they don't have all the answers, but they have an incredible story. And I know who the author of the story is because they keep attributing the author of the story, they keep saying it's Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. And that's a beautiful thing, right? We can share honestly with each other we can celebrate revelations before we question a revelation, before we get skeptical of a revelation. We can listen, we can sit, we can reflect with one another, we can pray, we can act, we can believe, we can repent, all of these things. Um, Jeremy, why don't you come on up because Jeremy's going to take us into communion. And we just want this to be a moment for you, honestly, where just let this be a Kairos moment for you. Maybe there's something to celebrate that Jesus is just, he's writing a story for you right now and you just need to celebrate it. And as you come to the table, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life right now because you are spitting on the ground and you are rubbing mud in my eyes and it's not pleasant, but I am like, I am seeing and experiencing things in a whole new way. Some of you, maybe you're irritated or you're frustrated right now and Jesus is showing up saying, just come, come belong to me. Bring your irritation. Bring your frustration. Some of you are deeply afraid right now. There's deep fears that are going on in your life. Jesus wants to deal with those fears because he's nudging you to someplace else. So let's allow this moment to be that for us.